we try to do on the first Sunday of the year is, uh, you know, thank God for his faithfulness to us as a church. Look back just a little bit, but then also look ahead at what he, we feel like that he's calling us to do this year, what we're called to uh, focus on uh, as, the, as the church. And um, so let me just kind of share quickly some of the, the blessings from 2021. And I guess the way I'm wired, I'm more forward thinking. Um, I don't look back a whole lot, which can be good and can be bad in some ways. But I think we do need to look back at least to be thankful. And so um, just some of the blessings, uh, you know, this is a blessing from God and uh, something that we appreciate your generosity. Our, our general fund giving this year was about $573,000. And just to give a little context, in 2019, it was about $441,000. So to have grown $132,000 in two years in the middle of a pandemic is a blessing from the Lord. Uh, and that's not even you know, what Robin referred to about us being able to pay off our, uh, the final $295,000 of our mortgage this year for this building and the new property next door. That, that's a blessing. Um, you know, just some of the ways that we've been able to serve the community during COVID. Something I think is a blessing and it's an encouragement uh, to me is just how many of uh, you guys, and I hear you sh sharing stories uh, about sharing your faith. I think that's the, a way that we've grown, uh, being able to restart Celebrate Recovery, seeing things that are happening uh, there, seeing people, like Robin referred to, answer God's call into full-time ministry. Um, We've baptized 42 people this year, and that's not counting people that have gotten baptized at their church plants and that kind of thing, and uh, that brings us to 590 baptisms in, in, in the history of True Life, and, um, you know, obviously there's, you know, just, I think it's biblical, there's probably going to be, we try to avoid this, but there's some people who, you know, get baptized but probably really weren't saved, but many, many, many of those represent people's lives that have been changed for now and for eternity. So that's something to, to celebrate. Um, you know, being able to bring Jacob on full-time as our minister students and young adults was a big thing this year. You know, really just the growth of our youth ministry, even through the pandemic. I think the, the biggest attendance they ever had was at their Christmas party in, in December. There were like 70-some uh, uh, teenagers and, and, and teachers there. It was pretty awesome. You know, being able to start Forge, the young adult ministry, you know, the continued strength of our children's ministry and our small groups. Uh, you know, seeing what's happening in our church plants here locally. You know, internet, COVID's been tough for international fellowship with just the people that they minister to, but they've seen growth and momentum and people make professions of faith and get baptized in the last few months. Uh, new creation in Morristown, Children of Christ, the Micronesian congregation in, in Morristown. Uh, both, you know, great things happening in both of those places, growth, life change, uh, even through dealing with a pandemic, which, you know, dealing with COVID is tough for any church, but can you imagine starting something in, in the middle of it? But, but God is using both of them, you know, in international missions, uh, even with all the lockdowns and everything in Honduras, we're still seeing people saved, uh, seeing a lot of expansion in the um, training programs, our first graduating class from the seminary, been able to make an impact with the food distribution. The Boys and Girls Clubs are still going well. I mean, they've uh, dropped some uh, during COVID, but again, they're dealing with a lot of lockdowns and that kind of thing, but they're still averaging about 500 kids uh, a week in the, in the clubs. Uh, Going to be starting another one in the next few months. We've seen 150 or so professions of faith in Uganda, which is uh, something new that we've gotten involved with in uh, th this this time, this season. So praise God for those things, and thank you for your generosity, your service, uh, your faithfulness. We we appreciate you because you know really, if if something is happening that's any of of any eternal significance, God's ultimately doing it, and the glory belongs to Him. But the New Testament teaches us that God works through people. That's the whole idea, the body of Christ, the hands and feet of Jesus, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And so with that said, I want us to think about, well, what's God called us to do uh, going forward? And, it, you know, in thinking about this and kind of even just, you know, planning out, praying about 
uh, you know, what to preach in the, in the first part of the year. Which, if you pray for me, one of the biggest things you can pray for is for God to give me clear direction on, you know, what to preach in given seasons. That's one of the hardest uh, decisions I have to make as a pastor, not because I lack for things to preach, but the Bible's a big book, and it's an awesome Bible. You can preach through any book of the Bible, and, uh, you know, that's, that's a good thing. But, you know, I believe God has something to, to say to a church at, at a given time. And, you know, a lot of my preaching during COVID has been uh, aimed, you know, at individuals and trying to be encouraging and that kind of thing. But I felt like, you know, the Lord wants to start the year, not, not today, and next week we're going to do a message about faith. But after that, with a series about the church from uh, the, the book of Acts, and then we had another COVID spike. And I'm like, is this the right time? And, um, but I, I think the, the conviction I've come to is we have to deal with life as it is. Right? I mean, uh, you can be idealist and wait for a perfect time all you want to, but you're never going to get anything done. If we would have waited for the perfect time and the perfect opportunity and the perfect circumstances to start it, start true life, we'd still been waiting for 19 years. Um, you know, to just what Robin referenced, to go from nothing to what God's blessed us with now, uh, just was a reminder to me that God's the one who's faithful, that nothing's impossible with the Lord. But the thing about it, and we're all wired this way. I'm wired this way. I mean, uh, I'm not like a big risk taker or that kind of thing, which sounds kind of crazy when you plan at a church. I'm really, that's not how I'm wired. But the thing about it is, you know, when we want to say we want to walk by faith, I think for most of us, me included, walking by faith means, okay, let's pray about it. If God does it, then I'll jump on board. But really, faith is taking steps of obedience when we don't know how it's going to turn out, trusting God to come through. And, you know, what's God called us to do? But the reality is we can be idealistic all day long, but, you know, things are what they are. And I don't know what's going to happen with COVID. Let's be honest. Nobody knows what's going to happen with COVID at, at this point. Uh, I mean, even the people that are really the experts on it, they don't know what's going to happen because it's just such a unique novel kind of thing best case scenario would be that maybe omicron is uh the gateway for moving to pandemic to endemic but who knows what's going to happen but whether this is the end of covid whether covid goes on forever we're going to have to deal with life as it is we're going to have to minister with the world as it is and there are bigger problems in the world than covid there's a lot of bigger problems in the world than COVID. And, you know, the biggest problem in the world is sin. Because everybody's going to die because of sin. That's what uh, the church is called to deal with. I've not, I mean, it's kind of ridiculous to me all the COVID questions I have to answer. And it just kind of comes with leadership now. But I'm not called, trained, equipped, qualified to be an epidemiologist. I'm called to be a missiologist. That's what pastors are called to do. We're on a mission and the world needs the gospel of Jesus Christ because the question is not if we're going to die. The question is just when and how. But we're going to die. And the reality beyond that is there's heaven and there's hell. And that's the big issue. Right? Everybody's talking about Betty White right now. And, you know, the thing with Betty White, and, and don't take this as any kind of me making some kind of statement about her spiritual condition. I have no clue. I don't know the lady. I know almost nothing about her. I know she was in Golden Girls, and she was in the movie The Proposal, which is actually a chick flick that I like, but not just one that you watch with your wife and daughters, and she was really funny there. That's about all I could tell you about her, and she died right before she turned 100. But the reality is with Betty White, is she's either in heaven or hell right now. And that's the only thing that matters at this point. And I have no clue where she, I know nothing about her spiritual condition. I'm just using that because everybody's talking about her. And you see these memes with her in heaven, that kind of thing. Maybe she is. But if she's there, she's there because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And that's, and that's the only way that anybody's going to heaven. But the reality is we're all going to die. We're either going to go to heaven or hell. That's what matters. That's what it boils down to. But, but the thing about it, with everything that's going on in the world, with people struggling so much, and I've shown some in an article recently just talking about all the, and this is from more of a, a liberal publication, 
with maybe finally being honest just about all the other effects, mental health, all these other things uh, coming from COVID, the reality of people hurting, people struggling. I think a lot of people in their 20s are trying, uh, are struggling with trying to see a future. I mean, there's hopelessness. There's despair. And so if, they, if we're going to minister, if we're going to make a difference, got to make a difference in the real world, not the ideal world. And I've I read a book, reread a book recently because uh, Dustin Self and I are supposed to be going to Honduras next Monday to do some training with our pastors and church planners there so you can pray that we can kind of thread the needle with COVID and all the travel stuff that's going on with that. But the book's called Church Planning Movements, which is kind of what some of the training is going to be based on. And the man that wrote it made an observation in there that when you study church planning movements, almost all of them take places in situations, in, in cultures, in places where there's a lot of uncertainty and there's a lot of difficulty. And when you look at places that are affluent and comfortable and, and wealthy, like the United States right now, say Japan, Western Europe, places like that, the most affluent places in the world, generally things are not going well spiritually. And, you know, there's different reasons for that, but part of it is when we feel like we have everything, we tend to not feel like, we tend to feel like we don't really need God. But th this is the question that, that came to me, is do I want to see a church planning movement? And the answer is yes. Do I want to see revival take place? And, and, and the answer is yes. But the, but the question is also, do I want life to be easy and smooth? And the answer is yes. Do, do I want things to be better for my kids and maybe grandkids someday than they are for us right now? And the answer is yes. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. That's just normal, right? I mean, most of us are just not intentionally signing up for a hard life. And once you have kids, intuitively, instinctively, you want things to be better for them than they were for you, right? I mean, that's just part of, like, loving your kids. But, but this is the question that I think the Spirit of God impressed upon my heart is, what if it can't be both? What do I want then? Do I want it to be easy? Or do I want to see God bring revival, a spiritual awakening, a church planning movement? What if this is what it takes to wake the church up? What if this is God's means of trying to help the world to see that life is fleeting and there's not really life apart from Him and there's it's just sinking sand, uh, you know, to reference the scripture that, that Brett read, that, that we need a rock to stand on or life's going to fall apart. What if that's what God's doing? I, am I willing to deal with the difficulties of that in order to see the glory of God manifested and to see people's lives change? What if this is our moment as the church of Jesus Christ to step up and to be salt and light and to share the gospel and to make disciples and make a difference unlike has ever happened in our lifetime. I'd like to reference a question that I've asked us before. Is if not now, when? And if not me, who? Because if something doesn't change, where are we going to be a few years from now? Where are we headed? And let's be real. We can sit back and we can whine about it. We can gripe about it. We can complain about it. We can post stuff on social media about it. Or we can actually do something that makes a difference. I believe God is calling us as individual believers and as a church to, to live, to function in a way that makes a difference. Not in our own strength, but in His strength. And I, I hope and we've seen God do some of this, but I'm praying that we'll see him do a whole lot more. Ephesians 3.20, that now unto him who's able to do immeasurably, exceedingly, abundantly above all that we could ask or think. To him be the glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. I pray that God would do something through us that could only be explained that he's done. Exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond 
all that we could do to please him. What's that look like? What are we going to focus on? Well, really, the mission of the church is the Great Commission. Period. Any church. That's what we're called to. Now, maybe how you go about doing it, and I'll talk some about that in our context, looks different from church to church. But the one mission of the church, the only bottom line for the church, a church, any local church, is making disciples of all the nations. That's the number that matters. I mean, now there may be some other numbers, attendance, giving, baptisms, people serving, those kind of things that maybe feed into it or a part of it. But really, the one question that we need to answer is what's the quantity and what's the quality of disciples that we're making? That's what I as a pastor and you as a Christian, we're going to stand before God and give an account of that someday. That's what it boils down to. So if you've got a Bible, go with me to Matthew chapter 28. And we're going to look at the first 10 verses just to kind of root this in some context. And then we're going to look at the last four verses of the chapter to remind us of the mission that Jesus has given us as a church. And then I just kind of want to flesh out a little bit about what that looks like for us going forward in the next several months at True Life. And then I want you to think about this question. What's my role in it? What's my part? What's God called me to do as a part of fulfilling this mission? So Matthew chapter 28. Of course, Matthew's one of the four accounts of the life of Jesus that you know, particularly focus on his death and resurrection. They claim to be eyewitness accounts. Matthew was one of the, the disciples. He was a tax collector that Jesus called to, to follow himself. And of course, you know, tax collectors, he wasn't like a priest. He wasn't like a Pharisee. He didn't grow up as a good religious boy. The Pharisees were like the lowest of the low in Jewish minds that day because they were they were tax collectors, right? They were taking their money, but then they were in cahoots with the Romans. So they considered them to be traitors, and they often lined their own pockets. But uh, Matthew left all that to follow Jesus. And so he writes this. He says, now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week, Sunday, began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And they were expecting to be able to, like, properly anoint Jesus' body for burial and that kind of thing. But it says, Behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. For he is risen, as he said. In other words, he told you this was going to happen, right? You didn't get it. He said they were going to crucify him. He says they were going to rise from the dead. It's happened. Now you need to see it. He says, come see the place where the Lord lay. In other words, you saw him uh, get put in this tomb. Now go see that he's not there anymore. And then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Now, let me say a little bit about this before we kind of move on and look at what Jesus commissions us to do. Christianity is unique from every other religion in some various ways. One of those ways is that it stands or falls based on the person and work of Jesus Christ. It doesn't stand or fall based on how well you follow rules or how well you follow the tenets, the teachings of the religion, or how you observe the rituals of it. It stands or falls on whether or not Jesus is actually the Son of God who died for our sins and rose from the dead. This is not presented as philosophy, as myth. 
it's presented as an eyewitness historical account. That means it's either true or it's false. It's factual or it's not. And let's be real about it. It's a crazy claim. I mean, if you're not a Christian, or, you know, this is kind of a new message to you, that's one of the things you got to wrestle with. This is a pretty crazy claim that a guy rose from the dead. Like, you don't go to a funeral and expect to see somebody pop up out of the casket, right? And if you are a Christian, or you've been at a church a long time, and you've heard this, we don't need to lose the force of this. I mean, sometimes we can lose the force of something in the familiarity with it. It's a crazy claim. He was dead, and then he was alive. The tomb was empty. These eyewitnesses saw him. And again, it's true or it's not. You've got to decide what you believe. But this is the point I, I want to make. This is not the kind of claim to be on the fence with. I mean, if you're not a Christian, I went through this process. I encourage you to study this, read the Bible, read the historical resources, talk to people, kind of wrestle this to the ground, decide what you believe about it. But if you say that you are a Christian, understand what you're saying. You're saying, I have committed my life to a guy who, if this isn't true, has been dead for 2,000 years. Let's be honest, that's nuts. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we're delusional. Paul said, in fact, if there is no resurrection, we're of all men to be the most pitied. Again, this is the point I'm making. Not something to be on the fence with. If it's not true, we should not be here today. Right? We're stupid. I mean, there's no point to it. If it is true, though, he doesn't deserve our half-hearted, half-baked, warmed-over, uh, religious lip service to him. He deserves our lives, our first and our best, our, our service, our devotion, our honor, our worship. Because if this is true, it means that God left heaven, that he loved us so much that he invaded time and space and, and allowed himself to be cruelly tortured, murdered, for us, for our sins, and then proved, if, if Jesus rose from the dead, it proved that he is the Lamb of God who paid for the sins of the world, and he is the Son of God, God incarnate, dying in our place. Again, you can believe it or not, but it's not something to be on the fence with. So what do you believe? And our wives say, what we believe, say, well, why would I believe this? I mean, why would I believe they're telling the truth? Well, Matthew, along with most of these early disciples, gave his life for what he wrote, for what he claimed. It's no big deal. There's religious martyrs all over the place. Well, there's a difference, though. They're dying for something they believe. He's dying for something he said he saw. It's one thing to think you be to believe something and be willing to give your life for it, but why? who would die for a lie? I mean, if he, if he knew they were making this story up, why? Why would they hang together? If, if they were just making this story up, where did the church even come from? How did the church survive, thrive, in a sense conquer the Roman Empire in the face of death? Why did they leave Judaism and go from the Sabbath to Sunday morning and the sacrificial system uh, to communion? Why did they start baptizing people in the name of Jesus? Why did they start proclaiming the Trinity out of this strict monotheism unless they saw Jesus rise from the, saw him alive, risen from the dead. Maybe that didn't, that's not, not the way it happened, but you have to have an explanation to account for the facts. And so if, if he didn't rise from the dead, what is the explanation that accounts for the facts? Why, if they were making, why if Matthew was making this story up, why would he have positioned these women as the first witnesses to this event when a woman couldn't testify in a court of law in Jewish society. To me, either it's true or he's a really bad liar. 
Because if you're making the story up, it makes no sense in their cultural context with their prejudices to present the story in this way. So what do you believe? And again, if you're not a Christian, I encourage you to wrestle with what you believe. But if you say that you are, it's not something to be on the fence with. Now, fast forward to verse 16, and it says, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, which is what Jesus told them to do, to the, to the mountain which he had appointed for them. It says, When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. They saw him alive after he had been dead, but some were still doubting. You see, faith is not ultimately about intellect or experience. Faith is a matter of the will. And if we don't want to believe something, in other words, if you don't want to surrender your life to Christ, you can find a reason not to. But let's be honest about what you're doing. Let's not say it's because there's all this evidence against it. Let's say it's I want to live my own life instead of letting Jesus have control of my life. Because biblically, that's usually the reason. Notice what it says, verse 18. It says, Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And if you rose from the dead, you have all authority in heaven and on earth. And if Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth, that means, if if that's true, then we have one of two choices. We can bow before him, submit to him, or we can rebel against him. Did he rise from the dead? That's, That's the one question in life that matters. To me, how you answer that question answers pretty much every other question for you. If Jesus rose from the dead, I'm going to go with the guy who rose from the dead. If, if he didn't, we've got to go figure life out on our own. But he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Based on this, the mission statement of True Life is to meet people where they are, help them become fully devoted followers of Christ. When we talk about being a disciple, that's what we're talking about, is a fully devoted follower of Christ. That's our mission as the church, making fully devoted followers of Christ. So as the church, what we're called to do, you see, there's one command here. It's to make disciples. There's three participles that modify that. Go, baptizing, and, and, and teaching them. So as the church, we're called to go and proclaim the gospel, baptize the converts, help them to get folded into the life of the church, and then teach them the Word of God, and and not just in an intellectual kind of way, but teach them to obey God's Word so they can grow into the image of Christ. That is what we are called to do. It it means then that a Christian is someone who has heard and responded to the gospel in repentance and faith toward Jesus Christ, has been baptized as a public confession of uh, his or her faith, and then is now learning God's Word and, and seeking to put God's Word into practice in his or her life. That's what it means to follow Christ. It doesn't just mean I prayed a prayer, walked an aisle, that kind of thing. We're called to make disciples, not converts, not religious people. We're called to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And so, if you're not a Christian, I encourage you to take the step of repenting and placing your faith in Christ. If you've done that, but you've never been baptized, According to what Jesus would say here, your next step is to be baptized as a public witness to your faith in Christ and then to be discipled and to learn, to grow, to learn how to apply it. For us as as believers and us as a church, again, we're called to spread the gospel, baptize new believers, help them to grow in their faith, equip them where then they can repeat that process over and over and over again. And see, here's the thing. We're not a church of programs. I'm not (laughs) coming to you with a whole bunch of new ideas this year. I'm coming to you saying we need to keep what we've been doing and trying to make disciples of Christ just do it more and better. That's what our focus is going to be. You know, one of our core values says we impact the world through multiplication. We're not here for addition, we're here for multiplication. Uh, We train the next generation, uh, equip pastors and missionaries and plant churches. 
in, in the United States and around the world. It's about multiplication. There's a book about that by a guy named uh, Dave Ferguson called Hero Maker. And really, however many years God gives me to serve him, that's the goal of my life is to be a hero maker with as many people as possible. Make as many disciples as possible. Raise up as many servants of the Lord, as many pastors, as many missionaries as possible so that multiplication can take place here and around the world because that is how the world is going to be changed through the gospel of Jesus Christ getting into people's hearts and getting worked out in their lives and people being raised up and then people doing that with other people. Listen, we need better politicians and we need better economists and we need better scientists and all these other things. But ultimately, the heart of the problem is always a heart issue because at the root of the problems in the world is sin. So that means the answer has to be a heart answer and only the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, can change people's hearts. So it is ultimately the answer for the world. And so we're not going to be distracted and all these other things, but we're going to be about the gospel. We're going to be about making disciples. That is who we're going to be as a church. Now, how do we do this practically? Um, it's gathering on Sunday mornings in a worship service. The Bible tells us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. It's, you know, sharing that uh, online. It's but, but, but beyond that, if you're going to grow as a disciple of Christ, and, and I just want to remind you of this and encourage you in this at the beginning of the year, it's our daily spiritual disciplines. Right? If, if I told you on Sunday you could eat as much as you wanted, but that's the only day of the week you could eat, does that sound like a good life plan? Does that sound enjoyable? You're going to be physically healthy? Listen, you're not going to be spiritually healthy if you only eat on Sunday. It's daily spending time in God's Word. I mean, it's like, how you, if you don't know how to do that, ask somebody. Download version on your phone. Pick one of the Bible reading plans. Start spending time in prayer and worship, spending time with God. That's how he changes us. So, you know, Sunday morning, it's each of us personally fulfilling the Great Commission, which is personal evangelism. You know, who's your one? Who is in your life that's not a Christian that you can share your uh, faith with, that you can pray for? that you can in, in, invite uh, to church. We can all do this if we're believers, will we? You know, Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you become fishers of men. Who's your one? Who is it that God have you to pray for, to reach out to uh, this year? It's, it's discipling other Christians just organically. It doesn't have to be a program, this kind of thing. I mean, think about it. If, if you've grown as a Christian, I guarantee you it's because you've had people invest in your life. Who can you invest in? Say, oh, I can't do that. You can do that. We have teenagers here at Tree Life that do this. You find somebody younger than you, somebody younger in the faith than you, uh, you know, talk to them, encourage them, share scripture with them, you know, teach them what you've learned. Uh, 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul said, the things you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. There's four generations of disciples in that one verse, and that's how the baton of the faith gets passed on. I mean, it starts at home. I mean, if nothing else, start with your kids. Train them. Disciple them. Pour into them. They say, I don't have anything to give. Well, you probably then ought to find somebody who can disciple you, and you seek the Lord and start trying to grow in him. Letting the light of Jesus shine in our sphere of influence. Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Understand, wherever we are, we can let the light of Christ shine through us. We can bless people, encourage people, serve people, uh, share the gospel with people. Listen, I don't care what sphere you're in, what you do, what your career is. You can be a secretary, lawyer, accountant, doctor, scientist, uh, garbage man. Uh, might not be the best way to say that, but you know what I mean. Uh, the, you, know, you could be a stay-at-home mom. But you know what you really are if you're in Christ? You're a missionary. You're a missionary wherever the Lord puts you. So, it's yes, it's what we do on Sunday morning, but it's each of us day in and day out and fulfilling the Great Commission, making a difference in other people's lives. It's small groups. Most of our ministry eggs are in the basket of small groups. Again, they're uh, churches of relationships, not people. If you were here last week in the first service, most of the testimony centered around how people have been blessed and ministered to by small groups. Uh, the reason we take this approach Three times in the book of Acts, it says something like this. Acts 2.46 is an example. Continuing daily with one accord in the temple, 
and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. One accord, large gathering in the temple, and then house to house, small groups, people living life together, praying for each other, encouraging each other, uh, meeting each other's needs, studying the Bible together, reaching out to others together. A lot of what Robin referred to in, in, in what she shared, as far as the needs that have been met, most of that has happened in the context of small groups. We're called as Christians, you know, the word fellowship. We turn that into an occasional picnic or potluck, but it really means the common life that we have in Christ that we're to share together. And I, I don't know for some people the thought of getting in small groups can be intimidating. I know you're busy. I know you come up with a hundred reasons not to do it. But can I just tell you that <laughs> Satan loves those hundred reasons. What you need, and I can say this on 19 years of experience now, is to be able to do life together with a, a group of committed Christians who will help you in your spiritual walk, who will help you in your life. And if you want to grow and change, get plugged into a small group. Satan wants to isolate us. God wants us to be in community together. It can be in one of our regular community groups. It can be in a small group and celebrate recovery. It can be one of our Wednesday night classes. Even in a youth ministry, the high school part of it's based on uh, small groups. Uh, you know, number four, we're called to ministry to the next generation. Judges 2.10 says, when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. That's why we invest so much in children's ministry, in youth ministry, and, you know, in, the young, in, in the young adult ministry. We are called to pass the baton of faith to uh, the, the next generation. Uh, listen to me. There, there's nothing good or bad about age. Age just is. But for those of us who are 50 and older, which I'm now in that group, I think our heart ought to beat for those that are in their teens, their 20s, their 30s, to be raised up in Christ. To think about the future, not just think about us, not about our personal preferences, not about what we like in church, but what's it going to take to reach the next generation? Because it's not just the future, it's now. I mean, what would we be as a church without all of our teenagers and good souls? So we're called to pass the faith on to the next generation. And, you know, for those of you that are in your teens, 20s, 30s, whatever, uh, I mean, I hope you'll plug in here and serve and make a difference because I know you want to make a difference in your generation. And I hope you'll let older people mentor you and disciple you. And, you know, listen, the thing about it, if we're older, we've got things to learn from younger people too. Number five, missions. Romans 1.5 says, Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Listen, you can't read the Bible apart from this phrase, among all nations. You read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, God's heart beats for the nations. If we have the heart of God, we're going to have a heart for the nations. So again, that's serving, reaching out to our own community. It's planting churches here. It's continuing uh, to work in Honduras, although that's, um, you know, established enough, strong enough now that we're more and more trying to encourage them out on their own, you know, not to be dependent upon us. You know, it's we're going to Uganda some of next month just to kind of see. That wasn't part of the grand master plan, but God's doing some great things there. Now just to see what he has in the future. Uh, you know, like John talked about last month, we plan on taking a vision trip to Southeast Asia because I believe, we believe that every church has a responsibility to reach, be a part of reaching unreached people groups of people who have never heard the gospel. Which there's probably at least three billion of those people in the world. Three billion. And I mean, you're like, why would we add to what we're already doing in missions? I would just encourage you to go back on, on YouTube and find, or on our webpage, find the December 12th service, look in the early part of it, watch the David Platt video it's God's heart. So again, we're not interested in starting 43 new programs, doing a bunch of new things. 
We're about making disciples. Again, we're about doing Sunday morning as well as we can, trying to help people get plugged into small groups, ministering to the next generation, uh, sharing the gospel, discipling people, doing missions. And so the, the goal of, of all of this, and, and I'm going to share three things here, and then we'll just kind of talk about, you know, what's your next step, what you can do with this. One, it's to reach our community and to increase in both the quanti- quantity and quality of disciples. That's the great, the great Commission. Make more disciples, make better disciples. John Tyson, a pastor in New York City, says, the health of your church is dependent upon the quality of your disciples. So, you know, some churches are all about, you know, we're going to, we're ha- having all these people saved, and other churches are about, no, we're going deep. It's not either or. God calls us to both. We're called, though, to reach our community. There are deep, desperate needs in our community. You know, I, I'm from Morristown. I grew up in Hamlin County, which is actually where we, we live on the west end of Hamlin County. Then we moved away to North Carolina for three years, pastor in Maryland for six years, came back to start True Life. And I've felt like ever since we've been here that Jefferson County is something, you know, relative to the area of the country we live in, something of a spiritual mecca. If, if you look at the numbers, I believe that's, I don't have time to develop it, but I believe it's fact and evidence. We're called to make it evangelized. We're called to make a difference in the community. Second, if we do that, if we make more disciples, better disciples, if we grow, the byproduct of that is at some point having to add a, a third service. Uh, you know, the reality is pre-COVID we were averaging the two services 3.30 to 3.40. Um, you know, it's kind of been up and down because of the COVID spikes, but in between the COVID spikes, we're running more people uh, than we were before COVID. And that's with however many people at home, all those kind of things. I mean, God's done a great work. You know, at some point, somewhere between four and 500, I don't know exactly what the number is, we would have to add a third service, have to do what it takes to do that, have to add staff, eventually build. And so this is what we're thinking, you know, long term. I don't know when we'll be able to build. You know, we're we're not going to go into some kind of crazy amount of debt. If you've got you know, extra two, three, four million dollars laying around, feel free to donate it and we'll get on it as quickly as we can. Um, so again, we're not going to rush into anything, but at the same time, we're not gonna just going to sit around and wait for it to fall out of the sky either. We feel like, you know, there's some basic proactive steps we need to take. Um, you know, if you're at the annual meeting, you've heard this, but, you know, we had some basic site plans drawn up by an architect this year. Next year, we put in the mu- budget to do some you know, building design. And then there, there's something I, I need to announce this to you, and this is kind of relates to why we even had the site plans done to start with. But um, the man who owns the property in front of us, his name is Bill Barkley, uh, approached us this summer about a property swap. And we had a conversation with him, um, you know, didn't like his proposal. And, you know, he invited us to counter offer, but we thought we need to talk to an architect. We need to get a professional involved just to kind of see what we really need here. And so, you know, we talked about this at the annual meeting, but, you know, the elders and him have come to an agreement about swapping some properties. I don't know because there's no money involved that we technically have to have the church's approval to do it, but we decided it'd probably be best since, you know, the church voted to buy all this and all that kind of thing. So, Next Sunday night at 5 o'clock is Reset, which is our quarterly prayer and worship gathering. But kind of like we did this summer with when we brought Jacob on full-time, we're going to tag a special call business meeting onto that to vote on this particular proposal. So if you remember, we encourage you to come be here for this. But basically, um, I mean, if you, if you walked outside and, you know, you walk out the front door through the portico chair, kind of to your left, and, you know, there's the paved parking on your left, and then you walk out into the grassy area, you would think that would belong to us. But it doesn't. The property line literally comes all the way back to where the asphalt and the grass meet. And uh, so basically, if someone buys Bill's property, which he's been trying to sell for a long time, they could either build all the way back to the setback, or they could put junk or whatever all the way back to the property line, which would literally be at our front door. So we kind of feel like we need to protect ourselves from that. But the other thing about the property that's kind of weird is if you walk all the way out to the road from here, that's our property. 
you think it's his, what looks like his parking, but our property goes all the way to the road, just a few feet to the right of this side uh, of his building. And so, uh, you know, we agreed, you know, pending the church's uh, approval, to swap some 80 by 80 of the area out at the front of our property out at the road for 40 by 160 of the grassy area that belongs to him. What this would enable us to do is one, again, protect ourselves from somebody buying it and being able to do stuff, you know, all the way back to our property, stuff we don't want right outside our front door. And then two, according to the architect, it would enable us when we do build, and if, if you want to put those slides up, Ryan, the, these are the site plans we had uh, drawn up. This is with the current property we have, building an addition over to the side. Uh, go to the next one. And this is if we which is what we're trying to do, acquire all the grassy area. We don't have that agreement in place. But with us acquiring part of the grassy area, like I said, we can protect ourselves. But with 40 uh, feet, it's enough to build a two-car driveway where we can connect the two entrances and, uh, you know, connect the two parking lots and that kind of thing and flow the traffic through that way. So, you know, we're, we're think we should do this to kind of look ahead for the future. So, you know, since we have to announce special call meeting, just wanted to do that, go ahead and give you the basics of it. We can talk about it next Sunday night. But then the, the, the third thing would be the third goal of all this is while reaching our community, again, it's not either or, it's both and, to continue to increase like we are this year what we're doing in missions and plant churches simultaneously. You know, so some people would say, we should go ahead and build now. Again, we think that would be a little irresponsible financially. Some people would say, we should never build. We should just plant churches. But again, we feel like we're supposed to reach our own community. It's not either or, it's both and. And we're supposed to plant churches. And we feel like if we continue to grow here, we can do missions more effectively and plant more churches with a stronger people and financial stance. See, like if, if we wanted to, to plant a church right now, we, to do it effectively, we probably need to send out 50 to 100 people. That would weaken us here, and I don't think you weaken one thing to build another thing. That doesn't make sense. But if we had five, six, eight hundred people, it's pretty easy then to send out a core of leaders to go plant a church. So it's both and, it's not either or. So again, we just feel like it's wise at the beginning of the year just to lay out what we feel like God's so if you're a member of True Life, this is the plan. If you're new, if you're like considering, is this my church or not, this is who we are. You have to decide prayerfully under the leading of the Holy Spirit if this feel like a fit. If you don't, I mean, that's great. Uh, you need to be in some church somewhere. That's biblical. Whether or not it's here or somewhere else, that's something God has to lead you in. But I want you to know who we are uh, up front. And you know, if, if, if you feel like that's here, we'd encourage you to go through Discovering True Life class, our membership class, and make sure, you know, if you feel like, hey, this maybe doesn't fit for me, let us know that. We'd be happy to try to help you find a church that would be a good fit for you. And I completely, 100% sincerely uh, mean that. We want you to be where God wants you to be. We trust that he'll have True Life, the body made up of the members that he wants to be uh, members here. But, again, if you're a believer, Biblically, plug in somewhere, serve, use your gifts. That's biblical. I, again, where it is, I can't tell you that, but it is biblical. So what's your next step? Maybe for some of you, it's talking to somebody about becoming a Christian. Maybe for some of you, it's getting baptized because you know Jesus, but you need to take that step of obedience to do what the Bible says and making it public. Like I said, Maybe sign up for Discovering True Life class. Maybe for some of you, you need to get plugged into a small group or you need to start leading a small group. Maybe it's signing up for, for a discipleship class to help you grow. Maybe it's serving. If you're not serving, if you're not using your gifts, you're missing out and we're missing out because God's given you something to share with the body of Christ. That's what Scripture teaches. I'd ask all of us to commit to pray in Ephesians 3.20 prayer that God would do something way above and beyond what we could ask or imagine. So, this is how we're going to close. Remember where I started asking you either to text 
TLC serves or 94,000, whether you're here online or, or to take that response card. But I just want to ask you to either get your phone or that piece of paper out right now and just take a minute. If there's something that God is leading you to do, just to take that step. Or, again, you're not really committing to anything by filling this out. You're just saying, hey, I'd like some more information. I'd like somebody to talk to me. I might want to take a next step here. I mean, there's no pressure. But if there's something you feel like God's put in your heart and your mind, I encourage you to let us know. And so, again, if, if, you're, if you're doing the digital version, just text TLC uh, serves at 94,000. Just follow the prompts. You can submit it that way, and Andy will get it. We'll follow up. If uh, you're doing the, the paper version of it, in a couple minutes uh, after I pray, a greeter is going to come around and collect them. Or if you're not finished, you can put it in one of the offering boxes by the door, give it to one of our staff. You can bring, about it, bring it back next week and just think and pray about it. But you know, there's some things on here. Uh, you know, decisions. I trusted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'd like to talk to somebody about changing. You know, I'm interested in being baptized. <coughs> if you need to talk about that, let us know. If you're interested in learning about getting plugged into a small group, check that blank. If you're interested in learning more about True Life, you know, figuring out for sure if this is your church or not, uh, you know, let us know by checking the blank about the Discovering True Life class. You know, if you're interested in one of these Wednesday night classes, getting plugged into a discipleship group like that, you can check one of those blanks. If you're interested in serving, there's a section there with, with ministries. And again, you're not signing up for anything. You're just saying, hey, I'm interested in learning more about this. If you're interested in being a part of the Honduras team, June 20th to 27th, on January the 12th, like one night, about two hours, we do some special discipleship classes. One's spiritual maturity and spiritual gifts about serving the Lord. One's about evangelism, sharing your faith. If you'd like kind of a crash course, a basic introduction to one of those areas, it's a great way to do it. And I know sometimes with schedules, it can be hard to commit to a 10, 12-week kind of thing. You can commit to one night, and, and, and you'll get a lot out of these classes. Uh, you know, if you've got a prayer request, question, there's a place to put that. But, again, if this is something God's put on your heart, I'd encourage you just to take the time to fill that out in, in one of those methods. And if you've got questions, you want to talk, feel free to come see me afterwards. Pastor Phillip's out in the lobby. But uh, let me pray for us.